Welcome back to another episode of Have a Dope Day. I'm your host, Gabriel Lopez, also known as GS Automatic on Instagram. And today I'm sitting here with Conan from Method Framing. I almost messed your name up, bro. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Before we get started, pronounce your full name. It's Conan Ridzik. Okay. Yeah. That's probably the only time you're going to hear it on the podcast. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Finish Line Detail, full service automotive detail. Here in Sacramento, California, it's a family-owned and operated company. You can find them online at finish underscore line underscore detail. Thanks again. So let's get into your story, bro. It was very interesting in the prep work with you. I would like to start your story right at the end of high school. So if you can just kind of tell me about your first job in framing and like in the whole industry, just kind of walk me through it. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. So it was 1995. I was at Sac High just down the street here. Um, and I needed a job. You know, I was uh, 18 years old. I had a car, um, insurance, you know, and back then that was, you know, that was a lot of money. So, yes. <laughs> and so I, uh, I had a photography class uh, and the teacher and I were, were pretty tight. And so he had heard that there was a job opening at uh, Taylor's Art Center which okay. uh, is now, you know, long since gone. But in 1995, that was kind of the art store in Sacramento. So it was uh, it was a pretty big deal uh, coming out of high school and going, oh, wow, okay, I'll, I'll go to Taylor's. And, and uh, you know, so I went and they, they interviewed me and I got the job, I think, that day. Um, and that's, that's really where I started in framing. You know what was amazing to me is when you told me Taylor's turned into University Art. I was like, wait, that place wasn't born University Art? Like, <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Huh? Yeah, I was just like, yeah. wow, what else yeah. is like that here in town? Like, what other things are like that? And you are actually a yeah. wealth of knowledge with a lot of that stuff. <laughs> Let's, uh, so where does it become a hands on thing where you start to work with frames in particular? Yeah, I mean, that started at, at Taylor. So, you know, initially I started out on the floor uh, helping customers and finding okay. pencils and pens and paint and stuff like that. Um, and then they had a need at their frame shop, which at the time was about four blocks to the north at uh, 26th and C. Um, and there were four, I think there were four framers there at the time, but they needed help apparently. Okay. So, um, they brought me down, uh, kind of introduced me to the, just the basics, right? So how to cut glass, how to cut mats, you know, how to cut a frame and there's, you know, certain, um, certain math that you have to learn. That's really specific to framing. Okay. And, you know, it's sent to me, it's fractions, but there's some specific, uh, formulas that you kind of have to know to determine how many linear feet you need. In a molding. So, you know, I kind of learned all that stuff and, and they started me out touching up frames, I think, which is, if you look at a frame, there's, you know, there's four corners, yeah. right? And so those are miters essentially. So they're uh, 45s that make a 90 and in that little seam, in that little crack, sometimes the crack's a little big, sometimes yeah. it's, you know, it's just distracting. So yeah. what we do is we go in with, um, let's essentially putty colored putty and you mix your color, you know, to fill that hole and match it as best you can. Um, and apparently, um, that was, uh, 
kind of a big deal for the manager there. He said he had quite a few people through that just couldn't figure that part out. And, you know, I was just, I don't know if I just got lucky or what, but it, um, it, yeah, it just kind of went from there, uh, really. And, um, you know, I just got more and more involved, uh, with each aspect of framing because there are several different okay. stations, if you will, okay. like, like where you do prep work and framing, where you put things together. It's, uh, it's a series of steps. So, yeah, I got started, you know, with the, just again, with the basics, you know, so I would cut the outside of the mat board, uh, cut the outside of the glass. I wasn't actually doing any art attachment or anything like that just because, that was new. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you guys know how artwork is, it can be pretty freaking expensive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, here comes, you know, 18 year old Conan not knowing anything. So they just started out, you know, really cutting slow. things. Yeah. Basically <laughs> just anything that could be replaced. Yeah. Right. And so, um, if I messed up, then it wasn't a big deal, but, uh, fortunately, you know, um, I, I, I was, I worked with some really cool people, really cool people. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I should mention their names, but they, know, you. they know who they are. Um, and they, uh, they, uh, specifically Suzanne Og, she, um, gave me a real basic foundation of knowledge in art attachment. I know that sounds, <laughs> sounds like what, <laughs> but there's, there's several different ways, uh, to attach artwork. And I'm, I, I won't go into each and every way, of course, but, um, but she provided a nice foundation and also taught me patience. Okay. Um, attention to detail. Yeah. Very important. You know, those things were critical and she was trained by a really, really good framer. So I was fortunate, um, to start out in framing with those people because they were so meticulous. They were so good. Taylor's at the time was one of the best frame shops in Sacramento. Oh, uh, they, yeah, they were big. Um, you know, did really big numbers, you know, made a lot of money. Um, and we had some really, really interesting clients. Um, there might be some that you guys would know, like Gregory Condos, mm -hmm. uh, Wayne Tebow, okay. Patrick Delante, uh, Fred Dalkey. So there were a lot of pioneer artists that would frequent there, right? Yeah. And not only for the framing, but for the art as well, right? Yeah. Because they had art supplies. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of competition. You know, oh, so they were like the one space in town. They were big, man. They, I mean, you know, and eventually they kind of, you know, things turned. But for a good 15 years, they were just like a oh. They were a juggernaut. Man. Yeah. Yeah. They were just huge. So um, I was just fortunate to be able to start there. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, with framing, there's such a variance uh, in quality, control, detail technique definitely yeah um you know it's not a well-regulated industry oh really you know what i mean like it's not something that is uh controlled by any by any governing body yeah um so you know i, I don't want to say that framers are out there just doing their own thing they kind of are <laughs> sounds like anyone and everyone right like you just hop in and do whatever <laughs> well and that's kind of how some people start right and then, yeah. then they make mistakes um ruin artwork which is oh that's wild oh that's that's my pet peeve you know it's like that you know for me is my number one priority is not to damage somebody's artwork yeah but you know it's yeah. it, and it's interesting because that one that priority is uh in front of everything else 
Like, I don't care if I make money. I don't care if, you know, people are unhappy with the job. I can deal with all those things, yeah. you know, but if you damage artwork, um, it's, yeah, it's bad. It's disrespectful. Well, it's all that, yeah. right? Yeah, it's I mean, you, yeah. somebody's, you know, entrusting you and, yeah. um, you know, and, 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 you know, mistakes can happen. Of course, things do happen, but it, but if you're paying attention, um, it shouldn't. <laughs> you said she gave you a good foundation yeah. on basically by the way she was taught. <laughs> mm-hmm. That resonates with me very deeply because that's the same way I learned how to paint cars. Yeah. I learned from somebody who was basically a scientist slash chemist. Yeah, cool. Like a like a shop scientist slash chemist. Yeah. yeah. And so like when I would ask about something, it wouldn't be I wouldn't get the standard answer of because. When I would ask and say, Why does it dry this way? He goes, Okay. He'd always put his stuff down and right. he'd always explain it to me. Wow. There's an equation to this. Yeah. There's temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, there's air movement. Yeah. There's humidity. how you mixed it. The humidity, the environment will dictate a lot of the outcome. Yeah. And so it, it teaches you to look at things overall, mm-hmm. consider the angles, right? Pay attention yes. to the details. Hell yes. <laughs> so, and that's, that's something that like, if you start with that early mm-hmm. and you make that a core foundation in, in the way you do things, like. Yeah, you're, absolutely. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you start out on the right foot, there you go. Yeah, you know, then you don't have to go through the trials and tribulations of going through the mistakes and and uh, figuring out why there is a wrong way and a right way. Yeah, and um, you know, and and there's nothing to. I mean, I, I think experience is a good thing. You know, I think it firsthand experience is good. I mean, being told is one thing, but experiencing for yourself is yeah, you feel it. You do, you do. And yeah. then, but it's nice to have a teacher that is you know laying things out and warning you. Um, you know, for certain, certain problems that can come up ahead of time. So you kind of start, you know, looking for it, which yeah. is, which is kind of what I got. Um, uh, Suzanne was just, um, you know, she taught me <clears throat> not only about art attachment, but also materials, um, uh, just real, real basic stuff. So, you know, when you're working with paper art, okay. um, whether it be a print or a poster, yeah. uh, G clay, which is a funny name, um, and, you know, it, they all respond a little differently to certain types of attachment. And so just like you're saying, there's an equation. Um, there's a mental equation that I go through when I look at artwork. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not necessarily one that's, you know, written down in a textbook somewhere. Um, more so it's just from my experience yeah. and, um, collectively, um, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. I was going, gosh, you know, there's quite a bit uh, of thought that goes into each project, right? Because they're, yeah. they're all unique. That's yeah. kind of the interesting thing about framing is that um, each project is unique and you have to treat it that way uh, because all art is different. Definitely and all, is, yeah. And all art responds differently mm-hmm. um, to different types of attachment and different types of framing. So, you know, over the years I've been able to, um, you know, put together what Suzanne taught me. Uh, specifically about attachment um, and keeping that, you know, in the back of my head, you know, it was just a foundation Um, and applying it, you know, when it, when it's necessary or appropriate. Um, Yeah. It, 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 it's pretty vast. I I was, I was tripping the other day when I was thinking about it, I was just, you know, thinking back about how many different ways I'll, I'll look at a project in and how many ways I will contemplate uh, starting on a project and just depending on 
the components that they're using in the artwork. Yeah. Um, I, I will give you specifics, but it's, it's super long-winded. So No, I appreciate <laughs> it. And I say that because you blew my mind Thursday when I had mm -hmm. asked you about <clears throat> it was a certain type of – I didn't ask you. I think I – I asked you what the difference was mm -hmm. in the generations between the framers you learned under and then the way you are now. And yeah. the main component was the technology, right? Oh, the processes are different. And so yeah. you deal with a whole different set of tools, which allows a whole different outcome. Mm. But I did want to say that while we were talking all these different times, it occurred to me that you're you're almost a second artist on the piece. <laughs> like the artist is the first one, right? They bring it to you. It's mm -hmm. this. But they're like, further this. Yeah. Like, how do you take this? And I think I say that with respect because one of your main goals is the lifetime of the piece. Mm -hmm. You preserve the lifetime of the piece. Oh yeah. And I didn't ever consider that. Yeah. I just knew this is art, cool, whatever. But sure. there yeah. is a lifetime of it. Well, yeah. And really, and getting back into that, so you know, our our goal is to frame something once, right? Yeah. And and allow that person to. Uh, have that for the remainder of their lives and in the way that we frame so we use a lot of preservation materials um, there's a little difference between preservation and conservation um, i'm a preserver or preservation Ooh, framer that's a fancy word oh yeah yeah, yeah. But, but now conservators are different because conservators will actually go in and repair artwork oh yeah, I don't mess with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole, and that is science. Yeah. Uh, and there's actually a gal in town, the only one in town, which is kind really? of scary because she's in her 60s and, you know, she's going to retire here soon. And I don't know that anyone can fill her shoes. Uh, her name is Karen Alcons at Northern California Art Conservators. Wow. And she is a scientist. I mean, she is just, she's kind of like... You know, how do I refer to her like a like a Jedi master or something? Ooh, that's you know, perfect. I mean, that's she, yeah. <laughs> and she, if I have issues or questions, I'll go yeah. to her. I'll go to her. You know, I, it, you know, if it's over my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, Karen. So, um, you know, uh, having that um, in my back pocket is super nice because you never know. You just never know. Yeah, and I wanted yeah. to to ask you too. Like, mm -hmm. you kind of sparked me onto like just the topic of like basically art history here in town oh yeah and i was just like fuck bro i think i'm gonna find something new to be obsessed about like that's cool you know it's vast yeah, yeah. it's pretty dope so I'll, yeah. you'll probably hear some stuff about that on the podcast later but yeah. what happens like you're in the frame shop now mm -hmm. back over at university art yeah you've been there two years yeah another person that you had your time at overlap from before comes in yeah they start to take over the store and help run it better and like when do you feel like you really got a chance to stretch your legs as a framer oh at boy. university art you know it took a little while so with university art they brought in david salsa to run the store in 1997 when university art bought the company from taylor's okay um and and i think i told you earlier that i had uh, worked with david yeah. at taylor's yeah. prior to it was a short two three week overlap he was on his way out but um, it was enough time to get to, you know, just to know him. Yeah. Uh, so it was interesting when they, when they hired him, brought him in it was like, Oh wow, that's interesting. Small world. Um, but as far as, you know, when I got to stretch my legs, it was probably, <clears throat> is at the time there was a shop manager, um, Jonathan, and he left in 2002, I think. And then I took over the shop essentially then. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but even, you know, early on I was, I must've been, 
26, 27 or something like that. So I was relatively young and inexperienced, you know, so yeah. I was, I was just, you know, I was playing by the rules, right? Like yeah. I was staying within the lines. I was not experimenting. I was like, I've got a lot of responsibility here. Um, yeah, you know, I, it just, I kind of played it safe for a while. And, and, you know, in working for university art, they had some, um, stringent policies, I guess, Okay. uh, that I had to follow. Yeah. Um, in some ways they were very hands-off, but in other ways they were more restrictive. So I never had, you know, the ability or I never felt like uh, I could explore. Yeah. You know, I that was, makes sense. I was doing a job. Um, I was doing it well, of course, but couldn't take many chances, couldn't explore, couldn't, you know, experiment. Yeah. Really. Uh, and that lasted probably till about 2015-ish. You know, I was just running it and learning it. And, and you know, during that time, you know, you're you're accumulating knowledge. Yeah. Right? That's getting, a lot of knowledge, dude, from 95 <clears throat> to 2015. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. So you're, you know, you're you're absorbing all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, you're and you're also, you know, creating and maintaining relationships with those in the industry. It's a real small industry. It's, I mean, talk about niche, man. It's, okay. It's tiny. So if you know 10 people in framing, you know everybody. Really? Oh, my God. Now, it's, is that just specific for Sacramento? <sighs> That's nationwide, man. I mean, it's okay. just, it's crazy. It is really such a small, small industry. Um, I mean, there are some reps that I don't know that work on the East Coast. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've got pretty good relationships with all of my reps. I mean, they're really, really terrific people. Uh, and, again, these are people that I, you know, started working with in the early 2000s, you know. So, I just had a lot of history with them. And over the years, I just built those relationships up. Yeah. Um, and those relationships are really important to the industry because if you don't have help. <laughs> yeah, resources. You don't have anything. You're stuck. <laughs> you're totally you're just, yeah. You're stuck. So, um, yeah, they, they, um, they have just been monumental uh, in, in getting me where I am now. Yeah. Mine are like that, too, for paint. Hell, yes. There's so... The thing about paint is that it's constantly changing. You see, like, automotive painting. I mean, for yeah. people who don't know, I'm an automotive painter. Yeah. When a car comes out in 2022, yeah, and they've supplemented a lot of metal for plastic, yeah. they tend to throw like a, like a more, uh, wow factor color on oh, it. Okay. So yeah. it'll have different properties that you wouldn't have seen, and it helps to sell the car and it looks really good to the, to the right. design of the car. Right. Some of the Mazdas, the little SUVs, are like three-stage reds. So it's a candy-coated red car. Then Whoa. they have a gray version that's like a gunmetal yeah. candy-coated car. And, like, I got this other one right now that's like a yellow gold with a green side cast. So, like, <clears throat> there comes a point to where my knowledge is tapped out right. up until 2022. And I have to call and say, like, yo, mm -hmm. Is there any available literature, anything on this? Like, right. what information? And these guys will be like, oh, yeah, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Haven't made it out to you yet. This, this, and that. And it's like, okay, that's a starting point, right? right. And you right. work it out. Yeah. There's even been times where they've called me and been like, hey, can I get your spray out mm -hmm. for that car? Because I have another shop, a big shop in Auburn that has three of these cars in a row. And I know you have done the work for the spray out. Right. So I'll lend them stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they'll turn around and give the boss like free clear or whatever. But Right like, on. Right. Those relationships are very important. That's how I've gotten almost every job I have I've had in the, in the trade. Yeah, it's it because of the paint reps, dude. Yeah, they yeah. go in between all the all the politics and lines, and like 
Yeah. If they can find somebody that can do the job, because that, you know, it's what it comes down to at the end of the day is getting it done, yeah. you know, and getting it done right. Um, and uh, you're not going to make it by yourself. No, you're not. Nope. So you were at, <laughs> at University of Art till 2015? No, I was there until 2020. Okay. Right. Where does, I didn't, re- I didn't remember that. That was very soon, bro. <laughs> so what happens, uh, when does method start? So method, I mean, the idea of method started in 2016. So it was right before uh, uh, Donald Trump got uh, elected, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it was, yeah, 2016, September, um, Jaya King and I and David Salsa uh, all had a dinner and, yeah. and discussed it. Um, and that was, you know, 2016. So fast forward to 2020, right? Like, so up until that point, we've been... You know, I mean, I've got, and we all are very busy, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Dave had his stuff, I had mine, Jai had hers. So we, we made time when we could, you know, yeah. to sort of develop the idea and push it forward. Um, and then COVID hit, right? Yeah. And that was my opportunity to really start, you know, and um, I, I was laid off uh, from UA because uh, everybody was, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, and I just never went back. <laughs> so you you just you just decided like this is it. Yeah, it was it was interesting because it was a kind of a culmination. Uh, you know, and there was a lot of I mean, I don't want to want to get into that part of it, but um, you know, the company and myself were going different directions. Okay, just, yeah, that just makes sense. Put it like that, and uh, so I was eager to get out. I was eager to get started. I was. Um, <clears throat> pretty toxic as well, you know, pretty, um, pretty miserable in some ways. So, you know, it was just, it was time for me to go. And, and I remember when COVID hit and, and it was, Oh, everybody's going home. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never coming back. Really? Yeah. Cause and you're it, already over it. Oh, God, you're already I at was, your point. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, when I say the company and I went different directions, I, you know, that sounds kind of benign and uh, gentle. So, uh, not that there, we were volatile towards each other, but it was just, um, uh, yeah. hmm. anyway, I won't go. Let's fast forward past that part. Yeah. <laughs> let's fast forward past that part. We'll get past that. Yeah. So, so what, so what was the first step then to starting a, a frame, your own, indep- your independent framer, right? That's mm-hmm. what I call you. Yeah. So yeah. like, what was the first step to that outside of all this knowledge <clears throat> you've already acquired in your head, all these relationships you built, what's the first step? Like what's the next day after you decide, I'm not coming back. Business plan, right? Um, writing up a business plan and not having real experience with that uh, myself. I needed to hire uh, a small group, uh, which consists of two sisters. <clears throat> oh, that's cool. Very cool. One's a lawyer and one's a, uh, a chief financial chief financial officer, essentially. Uh, so they they manage your books, right? Okay. Um, and they both had uh, experience with writing business plans and. So we just kind of, you know, I mean, the prior four years to 2020, we had um, accomplished a lot as far as specifics of the business, how we okay. organize it, you know, how much it was going to cost and, you know, all that stuff. We had that kind of loosely figured out, but we had to <clears throat> put it on paper. Yeah. And so essentially I hired them to write a business plan for me, which is the way to go. Don't try to write a business plan for yourself get a professional to do it. They are, it makes all the difference in the world because the business plan, um, 
was the catalyst to the loan that I would eventually have to apply oh, for. Oh, so it's a foundation for the money too. Oh, big time, right? Okay. Because I'm taking that to the bank, yeah. right? Oh, okay. So, yeah. and the bank wants to know that you've got your shit together. Yeah. And, um, and so they they provided that. I mean, I still have the plan. It's very cool. So, um, did you frame the plan? I haven't framed. It. You should frame I the should plan, frame bro. The plan. You know what's funny? You know what's funny about that is what? that, and I, I don't know if you're you're like this as well, but I um, I don't do much framing personally. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It is. No, I but I get it. The yeah. car is horribly dirty. Right. The oil needs to be changed. It's I don't, weird. It's got. I don't. I don't, no, I don't get I'm it. I'm not doing it. I don't get yeah. it. I don't know why I won't do it, but it's just, it's like a block. Um, you know, it's like, no, that's my job. That's not what I do for myself. So, um, so yeah, so we took the, you know, the, the, uh, what was it called? Business plan. Business plan. Thank you. To a couple of different banks. Right. And, um, you know, it was, it was in a, it was an odd time, right? It was COVID. So nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew where things were going to go. Yeah. And here I am asking for money. Yeah. Right. For a, frame shop which you know in today's world doesn't is, sound like a priority to a business doesn't, to a bank yeah. doesn't no a bank's like well, how are you gonna make money yeah you know um so yeah that process took probably about seven months i think from you know starting the business plan and then applying at the banks and i was able to find a a, a bank that would lend to me at, okay. a, at a pretty decent rate. So, yeah. so that was kind of what the business plan was for, was to entice a bank to loan me money. What'd you do in those seven months? Because so, you're not going to work. Nope. You're not probably even leaving the house, really. Nope. And you don't know what's about to happen. Well, and, you know, and it was, it, it, it was a little crazy. I mean, I had to uh, kind of go with the flow. Like we all did. You yeah. Know? You know, you just kind of kind of forget the things you can't control and and focus on the things you can. And, um, and there were, there was a lot of maturing that I had to do as well. Um, you know, being or working for 25 years straight from like essentially 18 to, I don't know, it was like 44 or something like that. Um, you know, and I never, I never took any breaks. Yeah. No vacations. Uh, I, my vacations were never longer than two weeks. Okay. Right. So I was just in this perpetual mode of working and I had never really sat down detached yeah. and thought about, you know, the things that I wanted to do. So, you know, COVID was sort of a, you know, it was a double edged sword, but the good side and the silver lining was that, um, uh, I was able to mature a little bit more and, <clears throat> and lose some of the fear, you know, yeah. because there's a, you know, there's a certain amount of fear that goes with starting something on your own and, you know, the uncertainty and, and all of that. So in that seven months, I, you know, there wasn't much going on, right. There was no framing going on. Nobody was open. Right. So conversations were, you know, not happening. And, um, so really during that time, uh, it was just the business plan and, and applying for loans, which is, is it, is, is a process. Um, it takes a long time. Sounds boring. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) it's just like it's paperwork and i hate paperwork it's just boring to me right and 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 so uh it was a lot of that there was you know and and and, you know and and for the banks it's kind of a process for them if you you know follow through and persevere yeah you're more than likely to you know to do better on that end so you know all the hoops they have you jump through all the weird documents you have to come up with and forward to them and have filled out um 
it, it, it it's kind of how they weed some of the other applicants out. Yes, you know, well, I can imagine. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's how they kind of do that. So if you make it to that point to where your actual application goes in front of the board, you know, it's a, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get approved. Okay. You know, because you don't get that far because they're not into wasting time either, right? I bet, yeah. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so what happens? You get the notification that you do get the loan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was it the amount you wanted? Yes. Yeah, it was actually. So we had initially gone in for... I think our first business or our first um, version of the business plan was uh, three hundred and fifty thousand, right? Um, and and that was before COVID. Okay, so what happened with COVID is it caused me to reassess that loan amount because I knew that the world was going to be uncertain from here, yeah. you know, from that point forward. And so I got the loan down to about one hundred and eight grand, um, and I had some. I had about. 50,000 of my own yeah. money that I had gotten different ways. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. So the, the amount was 108, um, which, you know, talking to other folks that are, you know, getting into other businesses, that's, that's nothing. Um, I was talking to a gal who's opening up a restaurant and the equipment that they have to buy. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like yeah, it 700 is. grand or oh something. My God. Yeah. It's just like, okay, this, I'm going to do what I do. So, <laughs> yeah. What was the first thing you bought mm, mm. for the business with mm. that? So the first thing I bought, and actually I think I showed you. You did. You ran through a lot of the equipment right? with me. Okay. Yeah. So the Valiani mat cutter, and that's just kind of getting into the technology part that you and I were talking about and how that's changed the game. Yeah. Um, you know, prior to what's called a computerized mat cutter, there were manual straight line cutters. Um, and I have to say that the original framers, right, the guys that started in the 70s and the 80s, I mean, those guys were masters, man, because they could cut some pretty intricate, badass mats by hand, right? Yeah. But the issue is that it would take them an hour, right? Um, so, so in 19, well, 19, I'll kind of jump around here a little bit. In 1995, when I started with Taylor's, Taylor, Don Taylor, the owner, um, invested in one of the first computerized mat cutters in the country and it was made by this company called wizard international and i was fortunate enough to kind of come in at that time and so that's how i learned i didn't i never learned to cut mats by hand yeah you know um yeah when the computerized mat cutters came in it was so revolutionary i mean i'm trying to think of another industry maybe the you know maybe the assembly line i mean it it, it was so transformative um because it sped everything up exponentially so yeah, i can imagine uh, you know a mat would that would take you 10 or 15 minutes to cut by hand would take you 30 seconds yeah so essentially i mean it's kind of like robots right i mean they were going to replace all of us one day um but essentially that's what that thing did is replaced your mat cutter you know and of course machines don't get sick you know and if they break there's always a part you can plug in yeah you know, no workman's, no workman's comp, comp no taxes no, on employees no know. no hr right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so that's that's kind of where i got uh introduced to the technology aspect of uh, of framing in that so getting back to what i bought so i started with wizard international i worked with wizard for a good 20 plus years and okay. different iterations of their machine, right? They had the 5,000, the 6,000, the 8,000, the 9,000. Um, but in my opinion, each generation got worse. 
less reliable. Okay. Um, and I think it just had to do with competition because they have to compete, so they have to cut corners on manufacturing. Um, <clears throat> they were made here, which probably had something else to do with it as well. But, um, you know, it was kind of gimmicky. You know, it would say it would do all these things, and it just couldn't do it. Yeah. Right? And so you're wasting materials, you're wasting time, and you're on the – you know, on the phone with the tech person trying to figure out how to make this machine cut this particular mat. And, and so after, you know, 20 years of working with that, I decided to go with an entirely different direction, something I'd never used before, right? Like there's this mat cutter. It's made by a company called Valiani out of Italy. That and, sounds Italian. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're, like is the is a machine wrapped in leather? You know, it came in a giant. <laughs> it, they, they, um, yeah, they, they didn't cut any corners with this thing. I... Um, and I was talking to you about it, but essentially anything that you can think of, anything yeah. that you can conceive of, this machine can do. Um, it may take some tinkering, it may take a little manipulation, but to learn the software part, to learn the software part, yeah, yeah because there's that that is a kind of a, a thing for me as well. Um, it's the brain of it all. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, because that's that's how you get where you want to go. Yeah, um, and this machine, um, you know it. I mean, it cuts all certain thicknesses of mats. Uh, it can write on mats. It can draw art. It can cut clip art. Um, I'm trying to find something it can't do, right? Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So that was the first thing I bought. And it was kind of scary because it COVID, when COVID happened, right, shipping shut down, right? Oh, yeah. Shipping yeah, was yeah. just like, and so. Especially in Italy. That's what I'm saying. They're Italy gangster, got yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. They are. Well, now they're, now they're run by fascist i think but <laughs> she's she's kind of, anyway so now let's talk about italy but but uh so shipping was was going to be hard and getting the machine from italy to here um you know wasn't certain but i was fortunate enough to get in on one of the shipments that had that had been promised like a month prior or something like that so it was kind of by the skin of my teeth that i got the thing anyway yeah. um and i think that machine was 26 grand, I think. Ooh. Yeah. It's a quarter of the budget you already had. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 It was well worth it, man. I just, I've never uh, been so happy to cut a mat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to work with. Um, it, it, you know, the, the more time you take with it, the better it responds. Yeah. You know, it's just such a great machine. I, you know, it, it, you just don't realize sometimes with equipment which, yeah. what you're missing. And so, so I have a, a when you're telling me all this, I'm thinking of a situation that played out in my own career. Mm-hmm. When I came into like mid 2000s, when the uh, paint started going from being like more environmentally friendly, mm-hmm. there was solvent based paint and then there's water based paint. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the old school guys left because of water they kept leaving shops because they were changing yeah from solvent to water and so they had about five to six years before it became mandatory okay across california yeah so a lot of the the shops i was at were bigger shops that wanted to be ahead of the curve and so the younger painters Mm -hmm. were a lot more willing to play the game with the paint right and so like i learned on water-based paint okay and like i didn't have very much training with solvent Mm -hmm. and so like you learn with water which is just a bitch dude it's a bitch like you need to be set up for water okay because you're basically painting with watercolors on a car and that's not always a good thing no with the environment so some guys got really good and excelled Mm -hmm. other guys 
just kept going to smaller shops, smaller shops until they just kind of stopped painting altogether and, and did other stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, or it accelerated their rate of retirement because the technology was just taking over everywhere. Now it's California compliant everywhere. So right. they do have solvent systems that are California compliant, but it kind of really depends on the quality of shop you're at. Like yeah. we're really, really, really meticulous about color match, the yeah. quality of the clear coat, like the, yeah. The car needs to look better when it leaves than when it came in Hell yeah. because that's how we own the customer to the experience. Right. So like yeah. we take a lot of time to do that in like yeah. other shops, it's called blend it and send it where the color is close enough hmm. and you just kind of throw it on there and let it go down the road. Mm-hmm. Like most people don't know what they're looking at when it comes to color, which yeah. is true, but that's true. Yeah. We just true. don't play by those rules. So yeah, yeah. good, good. Yeah. That's but excellent. that was a, that's my comparison to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The technology came in, like literally changed the game. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And, you know, in that, uh, <clears throat> there were, you know, there were a couple of other pieces of equipment that were um, pretty transformative. But that mat cutter, um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I, I, yeah, I can't say enough about it. I mean, Does it, every you know, piece have a mat in it? <clears throat> Almost every piece or a lot of it? Um, I would say the majority of framing gets a mat. Okay. You know, it's not mandatory. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> you can frame things several different ways. It, the mat is not absolutely essential. It's just an easy way to do it. Now, let's talk about you getting a lot more creative mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with that because that was yeah. one thing I seen when yeah. I went there. Yeah. So just to fill the audience in on how we even met because I'm a graffiti writer, right? Yeah. And you're like a professional dope framer dude and like how do these dudes meet um i was invited to a vip showing that jio king was having at your space yeah. i went i thought it was cool i was really interested in all the like the surfaces of the wood and the yeah. finishes and all this and that yeah and i had seen a piece that had like a like a like a tweed style gray mat mm-hmm. with like orange underneath it yeah and the way it was cut was like very different than i've ever seen and like right. i'm a very big fan of like like uh, computer boards and like the movie Tron, the designs and like straight yeah. lines and like yeah. stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. when I seen that, it reminded me of it. I was like, yo, that line just coming out of the side of that thing. Right. And I like that. Right, right. And you yeah. had shown me that that was achieved with that equipment. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking to myself this whole time, like some dude like cut those lines and it looks like it has an angle on it even. It has a bevel on it. A yeah. bevel, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that tripped me on. And when he told me about the technology, I was like, oh, this allows <laughs> you to just be like, <laughs> super creative right because yeah, yeah. now it's the limit of the software that's all you that those are your limits or, and the, your li- ideas. or the limit of my ideas that's yeah yeah and so know, like that's that's and, and what we're trying to do um because you know to differentiate ourselves from other frame shops because yeah. traditional framing has been around since forever um and there's nothing wrong with it there's really nothing wrong with traditional framing it's it's good yeah. and it works and it's it preserves your art and um but I just always felt like there would, there would be something else. There'd be something more. You could take it further. I could take it further. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do in university art. And that was not what they were interested in doing. And it's, that's why I say you're the second artist yeah. on the piece. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and you know, and it's a collaboration. It always there you is. Go, right? yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I can, you know, brainstorm things myself, but I like working with clients yeah. and I like working with designers. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's a joy to, um, come up with an idea and then execute it. Yeah. You know, that's my favorite part. Um, 
<clears throat> it's we we just did a piece here recently where we floated the artwork on top of a mat uh, and created a shadow box um but the shim which is the part that goes on the inside of the frame that keeps the glass away from the artwork yeah we used a different color than the background so it's got this accent color running on the there inside right it's and it's tight. just little yeah. subtle things like yeah, that you add to it, dude. yeah well in in you know and sometimes clients aren't open to it right yeah like they're kind of conservative themselves they might have to see it first exactly so yeah. that's that's i'm glad i have my iphone because i take pictures of stuff yeah <laughs> sometimes but um but yeah it it sometimes it's it's like hey take this and do something with it yeah and i'm like okay and I'll I'll just brainstorm something. I'll work with Sierra, my my lead designer, and we'll we'll come up with something unique. Yeah. So sure. that's 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 a perfect way to get into my next set of questions. <clears throat> you handle all the equipment for the space. Mm -hmm. Did you have the location picked out yet? <laughs> when you had the equipment, why are you laughing? <laughs> well, that was a whole different thing. Okay. So that was that was that was stressful, man. Um, and if you, I mean, Mario, I know you're you're leasing here, renting here. Right. And, um, if you've ever gone for a commercial space, man, there's nothing. I, it's not fun. No, they don't. Uh, this particular company that I'm with is, they're just stringent, man. And they're not, they're not, they don't play friendly, you okay. know? So that, that's, what I, that's what I'll say about renting commercial space is that it really depends on who owns the property and who's running it. Okay. Um, uh, but anyway, so I was looking all over town, man. I was looking for months. So during the time that we we were, uh, you know, creating the business plan and getting ready to apply, um, I was also looking for spaces, right? Yeah. It was it was a weird time because it was, again it was COVID, and so nobody knew anything, and people didn't even like <clears throat> want to go outside, dude, or right. contact other people that were neighbors and shit all like, the time, right? Yeah, it was like wow. we, I just went, you know, inside basically yeah. and stayed there, but so. Uh, yeah, I, I looked all over town. Um, I live in Tahoe Park. Okay. And so I kind of started over there just poking around. And, you know, I found a couple places that were interesting. But all in all, just everything kept falling through. Um, in the space that I'm in now, which is on exposition, I was looking at the unit next door, next door to the one that I'm actually in. Okay. Right? And <clears throat> and that at that time, that unit was... Um, uh, being vacated by the previous tenant and there was a lot of uh, tenant improvements that needed to happen because <laughs> oh. it was just messed up and so i you know and, and and so i was talking with the agent and you know and trying to work out a deal between myself and the management company uh, and they came back and it took forever um God, it took like a month to get an answer back and it was a no right and and so what after i got an approval of the loan you have about I think I had like six months to find a place. Yeah. And I was up against it. I was like two weeks away from having to reapply for the same oh, loan. Oh, whoa. Yeah, it sucked. So I was like, I was kind of, you know. Freaked. This shit needs to happen. <clears throat> this shit needs to happen, <laughs> yeah. right? And yeah. and so the guy that, uh, the agent got back to me and said, oh, they're not going to do it. And I was kind of like, eh, is this guy working that hard? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but, and I just kind of asked him, Blake, I said, hey, man, did our, because there were no other units that I was aware of. And um, I, are there any units that are coming up? And he was like, oh, yeah, the one next door to the unit you wanted. And I was just like, oh, man. I was 
like, can I look at it? You yeah. know, and <laughs> he didn't think to throw that in, bro, no. with the comp- with, as a solution to I, the problem. And I told him yeah. that my my you know mistakenly told him that my um, my application for the loan was going to expire. Yeah. you know, just to try to encourage him to like help me out. Um, and um, he's like, oh, the one next door is, but it you know it's dirty. And there was a, <clears throat> I think the tenant at that time was a printer. So they used a lot of ink yeah. and the, you know, the place was pretty dirty. Anyway, so I went in um, and it, it took me, I don't know, maybe two minutes, you know, and I was like, yep, this will do. This will work. Yeah. This will totally work, you know. Um, so that fortunately came together, man. That was. It's was, a really nice space. That it, was one of the things when I walked in, I was like, you. yo, this is Thank fancy. You, Thank you, man. I like this. Yeah. yeah. Well, in cleanliness and it was godliness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and, um, and that had a lot to do with Jaya and Dave as well. I'm, I'm a pretty blue collar guy, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, like I like we were talking about, like I, you know, I dig holes and stuff, yeah. right? I get dirty, you yeah. know? So for me, it's, uh, you know, it, it takes a little, I'm a little rough around the edges. Um, yeah, I can, I can I, me too. Yeah. And so Jai and Dave were, are still to this day good at like kind of keeping me in, on track and, and, and stressing the importance of presentation and which I kind of knew that, but it was just like, there were so many things going on at one time. I was focusing, focusing on, on so that. many different yeah. things and, and finally now it's starting to make more sense, but uh, but thank you. Yeah, the, a lot of money went into that. Um, <laughs> it looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, yeah, it it, um, it turned out to be pretty damn nice, and I, I like it more and more every day. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I had an apartment <clears throat> that I couldn't believe was my apartment. Every time I would like walk back into it, I'm like, yeah. yo. This is my apartment. Isn't it it's sick? crazy. Yeah, it's this, crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> you want to like, walk? Yeah. Yeah. Now we have kids, so like everything's like, dude, they broke everything. But like, other yeah. than that, yeah, our place is cool too. But yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. And yeah. so, how do you go about filling about inventory? How do you put inventory in there? Now you have all this experience. Mm-hmm. You know where you want to go as an independent framer, yeah, sure. as a company. Mm-hmm. How do you pick inventory? Well, so, you know, my, so there's a couple of different models in framing. Okay. So there are the, the large warehouse, um, I don't want to call them Turnham and Burnham, you know, kind of like what you said earlier. Yeah. Blend intended. Yeah. Yeah, That kind of thing. Um, and what those guys do is they, they will stock their own inventory. They have molding, they have glass, they have mats and they've got tons of it. Right. But these are also multi-million dollar companies, you know, yeah. they can sink, you know, two, $300,000 into inventory and not feel it. Yeah. Um, so my model is, um, more, uh, order as you go. Right. So okay. order on demand. I think that's, we do they, that at the shop every Monday. Exactly. Exactly. Because nobody can afford stock Yeah, money sitting on the shelf. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. So fortunately the, the framing, uh, industry has ad- adapted to that. And so they, oh, okay. yeah, so they play nice. Uh, they kind of had to, of course. Um, and so they're willing to house all of the inventory, right? And you just order it as you need it, yeah. and which is great. So as far as inventory in the shop, I keep very little in there uh, because I can always get it. Right? Hey, I didn't see any in there, but yeah. I was. Right. So, okay. <clears throat> what I meant to ask was how do you go about choosing which moldings you want to have mm, available because mm, mm. you have like, dude, there's hundreds of moldings mm-hmm, in there. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, 
where does this shit start? Like, where does it even come from? You know, like, what's the difference in the wood? Like, the finishes? Oh, like- man. And that is a... So, there. I don't know if I can surmise that quickly. I think... So, there are different price points in molding, right? Okay. Okay, there's higher end, lower end, mid-range. Um, some companies play in all areas. Some play in specific areas. Uh, depends on uh, where their customer base is. Um, I pick and pull from all of them and for different reasons right yeah so um you know there are standard i call them bread and butter moldings right and okay. they're just and it's like it's your standard black cube your standard black white uh, or standard white cube um and those are inexpensive okay readily available um and i have several sources i can pull from Right. So it's not a specific, unique frame that I can only get from one place. Yeah. Like these guys, I can get pretty much anywhere because all framing manufacturers pretty much play in that realm. They yeah, all, they all have sense. some of that. Right. Yeah. Some have more than others. Um, some have less. But um, that is um, part of it. I think when it comes to high end stuff, um, there's a couple of factors. Okay. Availability, because a lot of the high end stuff is made out of the country. Right, so it's made in Italy, like we're talking about. The, is it is it handmade or is it made by machines? Like, so or is it a combination of both? It's a combination, yeah, a okay. combination. So, depending on the on the profile of the of the molding, uh, will determine how they produce it. But for the most part, like this company that I I order from all the time, it's named Roma. Um, they produce specifically all of their molding in Italy. All of it comes from there, and uh, there is there are quite a few that are hand finished. Yeah, in the paint, and you can see it because there's such a variation. Yeah, and that's you know, and, and uh, you know, samples, samples can be a little misleading. So this is kind of getting into, you know, why I choose you know a, a certain molding vendor versus somebody else, and it's consistency, right? Yeah. So the sample has to match what I'm what I'm going to get. Yeah, because <laughs> that's what I sold, right? Yeah, and so um, if if there's inconsistency which there can be in framing because it's such a niche thing that some of the lower end um, manufacturers have to jump around to different uh, uh, sources, factories overseas. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they have a molding, molding a made by, you know, factory a, and they're like, okay, factory a is now gone. Yeah. This stuff happens all the time. Like the majority of the stuff is overseas. A lot of it comes from like Indonesia and the Philippines, um, Vietnam, um, uh, some in China, some in China as well, uh, and a couple of other places. But it, if something closes down and, you know, a new factory pops up, you have to make sure they can even make, yeah, your molding. And yeah, there's been a lot of that since COVID. A lot of molding manufacturers have um, lost certain SKUs just because they can't get them made anymore. You know, um, and there are only a handful of factories in the world. It's 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 kind of a scary thing. You know <laughs> what I was imagining before we had this conversation mm-hmm. in prep? Mm-hmm. Like somebody cuts a tree down, they stick it in like a shredder, but it's like like crown molding comes out the other side all right, beautiful right. like that's what i was imagining i don't know why that's well like super cartoon way of thinking well I th- no but i think i mean ultimately that's it right i mean that is kind of the process i mean there's several steps in there there's that a lot more place, steps in but, there, yeah. but but at the same time it's essentially that's what it is um and uh, you know so 
Inventory availability is always changing, especially now. Like COVID has changed this business. It's changed the world. My, wow. I mean, yeah. things that we took for granted, right? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so it, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I have to jump around a lot when it comes to choosing molding just because of availability. So, you know, if this molding isn't available, okay, I have to go to some other manufacturer and try to find something comparable. Yeah. And, okay, now is that going to be, is that local or does it need to be shipped from New York? And, you know, there's just all these weird um, things Logistics. that you, yeah. that you just wouldn't think of, you yeah. know, that, would, that do affect the outcome. So, yeah, Definitely. And I've seen the finishes were the first thing that got my eye because I'm a paint guy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, some of it was just, I didn't think it was wood. And I remember this conversation very vividly, and I wanted to make sure we talked about this because I learned something. Yeah, yeah. I had asked which one of these moldings are plastic and which one's wood, and your face kind of changed a little bit. And I was like, oh, wait, is plastic a no-no? And you're like, plastic's not really preferred. And I was like, oh, he's being nice. Plastic is a no-no. You know, and that's a personal thing for me. No, and that's fine. I just, I thought that was funny because I just had no experience that's like somebody coming up to me asking me if my paint job is a rattle can like what do you think like You're right dude right. You, come on well in in it, and i think it's a good question because yeah. there there is there is a product out there called rps recycled polystyrene yeah. and um you know it looks okay it looks okay i can't lie about it i mean you know when you compare it to a wooden frame there's a little bit of difference um but where the real difference is, is just, you know, in the environment, it's just more plastic, yeah. right? And so um, I'm, I'm not You have all, enough plastic. That's how I feel, right? Yeah. Like we've got it all in our bodies already. So, yeah. you know, it's like, let's let's keep that to a minimum. So it, that part, but also they don't last, uh, they don't have the integrity that wood molding has, oh. um, meaning that structurally they're not sound. So yeah. um, if you bang a corner, if it, drops suddenly it, it, it can come apart pretty easy because there's just there's inconsistencies at a molecular level um uh, within the frame fiber so wood you know for the most part has you know has a grain yeah it grows right? together yeah. yeah and so that grain is what provides that integrity yeah um plastic doesn't have that no, and as soon as you heat up or change any of the environment of plastic, it reacts to it. Absolutely. So like off gases, yeah, it's gross. It man. definitely reacts to yeah, it. Um yeah. I've destroyed a few plastic bumpers and other things in front of the heat lamp before and it's just like, Oh worse. my god. Yeah, it's plastic. Yeah, this you know? didn't even didn't even take that long to do this. Like <laughs> it just melts. Yeah. So let's uh we are a little we're getting a little pressed for time here. Sure. I'm sure. sorry, I went too sorry. No, but no. anyways. Um can you explain the process? Because I, I've heard you mention a designer, mm-hmm. and then there's the stuff you do where you're cutting it, mm-hmm. and then there's like all these different elements to actually framing a piece. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot the word you had said it earlier. Um, basically, what's the process to like somebody brings in a piece of artwork? Mm-hmm. I have a, let's say I have canvas that's not stretched or anything. Right. right. I bring it to you. It's sixteen by twenty. Mm-hmm. What happens now? Okay. What happens next? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways you can go with an unstretched canvas, um, depending on again what it's stretched on, what kind of paint it is. There's, yeah. There are factors, but just to keep it simple, you can stretch them onto a stretcher bar, which is traditional. Everybody knows that. Um, it's you know stretched canvases are, are fairly fairly normal, um, and then you can dry mount canvas as well. What does that mean? 
So that remember that other giant machine that was in there that's kind of gray. Oh, uh, with the with the plastic on it. Well, it was. I'm trying to think. It was kind of right across from the mat cutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a dry mount press, you know, four foot by eight foot. It was a giant, you know. But um, it so it allows me to permanently adhere you know, either a canvas or a print or a poster to a piece of foam core. And oh, it keeps yes, it, I remember you telling right, me. Right, and it that. keeps it flat and straight and flush. So you, what you'll notice with pieces, uh, especially posters yeah. and expensive posters that aren't dry mounted and put right into a frame up against the glass, over time what you'll see is a wave. Yeah, the right? wave, yeah. Exactly, because it's paper, and paper responds to all sorts of stuff. So yeah. when you dry mount it, it no longer does that, right? It's permanently in place and it's going to stay there. So, um, that is that, that in depending on the value of the artwork, yeah. right. And so that's going to kind of help me determine which way I'm going to go. Right. And like if somebody brings in an original Tebow, I'm not going to dry mount that because dry mounting is altering it. Essentially. Yeah. Essentially it's altering it and original stuff. Um, you don't want to do that with, because you want to keep it in its original integrity. If you can, yeah. you know, sometimes there's not that option. Sometimes, you know, the, the, the artwork is too far gone and it can't be stretched. I've seen that as well. Uh, so the only thing to do with it is either, you know, roll it up and preserve it and put it in the dark and never look at it or dry mount it and frame it and put it on your wall. So um, it, it, it really does depend on the value, um, the rarity of the piece. Um, sentimental is also important, yeah. obviously. But yeah, so that's, you know... It, that's where I would start. It's like, okay, we're going to stretch this and we're going to drive yeah. on it, right? Okay. Those are the kind of the two basics. And then from there, um, you know, if you opt to dry mount it, well, then you can do some interesting things with it. You know, you can start incorporating mats and fillets and shadow boxes and stuff like that. When you stretch a canvas, yeah, you're pretty limited. Yeah. You know, you're going to put it into a frame and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's pretty simple, but Again, it really depends on how you uh, treat the art and what you decide to do with it will help determine which way you go. Um, it, you know, and, and, it, and it really is up to the, to the client because the client's going to determine what they want. Yeah, what well. they want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. so what's what's the job of the designer then? Does she present all those options to you? So, yeah. So our designer, Sierra Ramirez, um, uh she's got this really good eye for design and color and balance and frames, right? She, um, she and I have different aesthetics completely. Yeah. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty conservative, pretty, pretty masculine, uh, kind of boring, yeah. you know, <laughs> clean, you know, Sounds cool to me. Oh, like, right, right. I know. Right. I mean, that's where I'm at. I'm like, no, I want it to look good and tight, you know, and not, not, not squirrely. So, um, and she, she just adds this really interesting flair to design and um we collaborate a lot i mean she does work with clients one-on-one -on -one, um but all of the designs kind of have to pass through me a little bit you yeah. know not not to say that she doesn't have autonomy but um you know she has a concept and uh, sometimes the concepts can be complicated you yeah. know and so it's just a matter of figuring out um how to execute it so we will work together on that and if something needs to change in the design of course we, we can do that and yeah. communicate with the client and all that um but yeah it's a collaborative effort and it is a lot of fun man 
it's really fun. It looks like, and I wondered why there was a table here with like nothing on it. Mm. And I was like, mm-hmm. when you had told me the design, I was like, oh, yeah, you go through this physically, and like, oh yeah, every little thing is talked about. Every little thing is, well, you know, and Gabe, I should bring you in. I was thinking about that. Like, yeah. just invite you in with some artwork and just kind of show you the process and yeah, introduce cool. you to what framing is, just so you have some of that insight. Because I think, yeah, because I have. So- Dude, this has just yeah. ruined it for me because now I'm just more curious. Like I thought I was going to uh, learn all the ins and outs <laughs> in the podcast episode, but now I'm just more curious. Well, and we can't cover it. On no, we can't. No, we, can. we, we can't. definitely can't. No. <laughs> so after the design work is established, the concept is ready to go. Yeah. You turn around and you order the, order the, the parts. Right. Order okay. all the parts. Yeah. So say it's, you get the molding. Does it come just already packaged, ready to frame it? Like how does like and, <clears throat> and so there's and that that gets into um you know more specifics. I'm gonna try to not be too long winded on it. Um but it 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 sort of kind of depends on the molding. Yeah. So whether or not it's something that's easily joined, I mean put together, um, or if it's something that's a little out of my specialty and I need them to do it. Um, okay, so you have options. You do totally. You can order it in length, you yeah. can order it in chop which is chop is essentially you get all four lengths cut specifically to size, but not glued together. So, okay. And that's a chop. And then there's join, which essentially is what it is. It just comes as one complete piece. Um, and so how I determine it is, I mean, there's a couple different things. So depends on where the molding's coming from. Right. So it's coming right timeframe. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, FedEx and UPS are kind of rude to, boxes so oh you know what i mean so things get damaged yeah Yeah. things get damaged in shipping yeah and it's pretty easy to damage a frame i mean some of them they're resilient but you know if you're throwing them around the room you know they're likely to get broken so um so i'll consider that uh is it a is it a locally delivered item because there's a couple companies that run vans in town Oh, okay. And deliver just their stuff, right? Yeah. Just the stuff that they sell. Um, <clears throat> and there's also cost because sometimes shipping something that's joined um, that is, let's just say, 40 by 60, you know, it's going to be an extra yeah. 500 bucks to yeah. get here. So so there, there are a number of different factors that go into determining how I order a frame and in what state I order it. Um it, so that's essentially it. There's, I mean, it's there's more than that, but that's kind of on the surface. Thank you. Yep. Because my brain is gonna like blow. I know. If you go to, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> the designer goes in. Concept is established. Mm-hmm. We execute with the moldings. Yeah. Then there's options for glass. Oh yeah. Too. Oh man. That was one thing that tripped me out uh, when you told me about it. Yeah. So kind of give me like a crash course in in just glass. How important is glass? Super important. Um. Okay, so there's glass and there's plexi. So those oh, are the two yeah, different yeah. Gla- two different glazing options. That's the fancy word for it. Glazing, glazing. Damn. Yes, G L A Z I N G. Um, and so there's plexi, which is essentially plastic, yeah. you know, and then there's glass, which is made out of sand. Um, and they both respond differently to artwork. So you know, they're not. I mean, they're interchangeable, but. There's certain properties about it that depending on how you're framing, you have to take into consideration. But without getting into that, um, there are several different types of finishes on glass. Yeah, right? that was the main thing yeah. that I could see. That was yeah. amazing to me. And and so you've got your normal regular glass, uh, which um, 
it really has no UV protection at all. It's like 45% UV protection. So it's kind of, if you're trying to protect something and preserve it, don't use regular glass yeah. or regular plexi because they're both not going to help. Um, and then there's UV protection, right? So there's a coating that gets put on it. Yeah. Uh, there's an anti-reflective coating that they put on it, which is probably some of the glass that I showed you that has yeah. very little reflection when you're looking at it straight on. And it's super clear. It's almost like it's not even there. Right. Yeah, and it's amazing yeah. when you see them side by side. Oh. That's a that's a in person sell right there. Like you cannot. <laughs> if I was gonna describe it to you listening, yeah. you can see your reflection in one. Yeah. Like you could check your makeup in one, and in yeah. the other one, it just looks like it's yeah. There's nothing there. Yeah. And that's because they've mitigated all the properties of the other one. Right. So that's they, crazy. Yeah. So what they've done is they they apply a coating to it that's anti reflective, yeah. um, and it is a sensitive surface. It scratches. Right. So you do have to be kind of careful. Um, and they have both of those available in plexi and glass. Um, they're called different things, but essentially that's it. And they also have like, you know, some kind of obscure glass. Like, I don't know if you guys remember seeing um, older things framed and the glass was kind of foggy. Yeah. And it's non-glare, right? And it just, it, it diffuses the light rather than keeping it anti-reflective. Yeah. So you, it's just not very clear. Um, and it was all they had back, you know, in the 1920s. So, yeah. <laughs> so they had to use that, but, uh, I don't use that anymore because it just, it doesn't look good. Yeah. Right. Um, and there are, and there are several different levels of glass, right? So, um, there's UV glass, there's museum glass, there's ultra view, um, there's anti-reflective glass. There's just, not to say that there are like hundreds of different types, but there are, in my opinion, more than we need. <laughs> yeah. That's how it is with spray tips. Yeah. It's like, bro, why do we need all these all right. these options? Right. But no, yeah. it serves its purpose. Yeah. yeah. After the glass is applied, everything <laughs> is ready to go. Does mm. it, do you just ship it to the customer? Do they come back and get it? Like what's, what's the customer service experience? Like and after so, that? so for us, so we offer delivery and install as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does because, everybody else do that or? Um, I think there are shops around that, um, that do it. And I don't know that they advertise, okay. um, because it's a, there's a little bit more liability involved with that. Yeah. Right. Obviously you're Transport. transporting yeah. and you're also installing it. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of on it's your responsibility. So, uh, not, not many people do that. Um, and I mainly use delivery and install with David Salsa because okay. he is an art installer, which, uh, you know, on the surface sounds kind of interesting. It's like somebody's gonna make a living doing that. Oh no, it's, it's incredible. He's incredible. His sense of presentation, um, and balance, like I've been installing with this guy for probably the last seven years. Yeah. And I still, I'm like, how do you come up with this stuff? Jedi man? installer. Man, he is, he <laughs> is, wild. he's just, he's so damn talented. Uh, and he's a joy to work with. He really is. And we're both Virgos. So we're meticulous and detail oriented and we'd like to work and, yeah, and yeah. do things well. So it's, yeah. So it's essentially, um, he takes care of that part, but I'm more than capable of doing it obviously. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, not every client chooses that. Sometimes they do want to come in and pick it up. Um, I, I like to deliver it, hand deliver it. I, I, I just think it's a nice part of the process. No, it is. That's cool. Yeah. I like to show up at their door and go, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's cool. And that was one of the things I wanted to make sure we talked about is that yeah. you guys do go and set them up oh, yeah. in places. Yeah. And I thought that was wild that this dude 
his job is to set up work like in places that's pretty cool it's really cool so he'll go into somebody's home yeah. right sight unseen yeah and he'll look at the existing artwork and make sense of it like he calls it a refresh and he just essentially moves artwork around um and he'll move some furniture too we get into that sometimes yeah. you know just kind of like eh, if we move this chair over here we look a little better you know um so it gets a it, it's kind of a i don't know inexpensive interior designer to an extent yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the point i wanted to make was that you are a full service totally well yeah. rounded like this is what you guys do yeah you know we can pick up artwork we can deliver we can go on site and look we can it, it's you know the level of service that we offer i think is a little bit different than some other frame shops um because a lot of frame shops are retail right so they're just running um you know eight to five every day yeah. and that's that's what they do and that's fine ours is a little is much more service oriented so i'm going to try to find ways to work with you to make it an easier process more enjoyable process and the longer i work with somebody um uh, the better i get at that yeah the communication yeah. is established oh, yeah i know what the expectations, the expectations are i know what they want yeah. um it's just it's easier for me to serve them seeing what this yeah. reminds me of is our company I work for, Ultimate, Ultimate Collision Center, mm -hmm. where you have a mom and pop style business model mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with cutting edge technology yeah. to back it all up. Okay. And like, yeah, that's how you can like, there's 10 other body shops on our street, dude. That's crazy. And like, that's how we that's how you beat. separate. Yeah, that's how we separate. And it's yeah. like, it is a challenge at times because like of you course. said, the situation changes and you can't change. Nope. Like you have to keep the consistency. <laughs> you do. And so yeah. it can be challenging. Yeah. But yeah, that was the point I wanted to make toward Excellent. the end of the podcast. So yeah, thank you. In yeah. conclusion, I just want to ask you like one question I ask everybody, and that's what's your idea of a dope day? This can be a shallow answer or it can be a well in-depth answer about what kind of coffee you have, your favorite socks, oh, whatever. Shit. Like, so it's really up to you what your idea. A fulfilling day for me yeah, is a dope yeah. day. Okay, uh, there you go. So that that is for me, it's um doing good framing. And yeah. that sounds kind of like you said, kind of, kind of shallow a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, and getting the job done, um, and getting the job done in a timely manner. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, there are other ways to have a dope day, but as it relates to my work, um, that is fulfilling for me is when I'm at the end of a project and I'm, I'm done, I've papered it, I've wired it, I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's what I wanted. Yeah. You know? And so, um, you know, for me, it, 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 my work is a reflection of me, definitely, right? Definitely. So, and that's super important to me, yeah. um, without being egotistical about it. It's just, it's important that I do a good job. And, yeah. um, and so if the end of the day, if I've done that, uh, I just, I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's kind of simple, answer. you know, but well, thank you. Thank, thank you for you, all man. your information. You sharing yeah. your story with us. And of course, we hope to have you back again. I would love to. This thank podcast you. has been brought to you by we are Sacramento in the loft. <laughs>